Hey, listeners, hot off the presses, uh, brand new guidance on the COBRA subsidy related to the uh, the American Rescue Plan Act. And so we thought we'd uh, we'd have a quick chat with Bob Radecki, who's the Senior Regulatory and Public Policy Analyst at Benefit Comply. And this is a great conversation. It's jam-packed with, with really, I think, all the answers to the common questions that we keep getting around the this COBRA subsidy. Um, I think he, he puts, a, he put, sheds a lot of light and really clarifies a lot of the things definitively that, uh, that there wasn't really clarity on before. So take a listen. Uh, I think you're gonna enjoy it and get a lot of information out of it. So uh, here's Bob Radecki. Well, Bob, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Uh, we're excited to have you on. And let's start with you, if you don't mind, taking 30 seconds to tell us who you are and what you do at Accrue. Yeah, thanks. Um, so my my role is senior regulatory and public policy analyst. So that's the longest title of anyone in the business. But essentially, it means that my job is to pay attention to employee benefits, compliance laws and regulations, and help sort them out for employers and insurance professionals in terms of how to practically deal with them. So that's uh, and needless to say, with the COBRA subsidy, there's a lot of sorting out to do. Which is exactly why you're the perfect person for this podcast to uh, to talk about the, the COBRA subsidy. Let's get a quick rundown, high level. What 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 is it? What, what is the COBRA subsidy and the guidelines? And then we'll get into more detail after you give us that, you know, big picture view. So some of you may not remember if you weren't in the business, but we went through this once before in 2009. What the federal government decided to do back then was pay for part of COBRA premiums for people that were struggling due to the economic uh, stress that we had back then. And and this year, it's a bit different. The, the federal government decided to pay for all the COBRA premiums. So uh, for certain individuals due to, you know, um, uh, the public policy issue is right, that um, people have lost their jobs because of the economic stress of the pandemic. And and we can help them out by um, uh, helping pay some people's COBRA premiums. So in a nutshell, if someone has been involuntarily terminated from employment, so we'll talk about that more later, mm -hmm. or has had a reduction in hours, leave of absence or goes part-time that triggers COBRA rights, the government's going to pick up the tab for you and it's going to pay for your COBRA for six months from April 1st through the end of September. Um, and well, that sounds wonderful and easy for employers. We know struggling with this, it creates all kinds of administrative hassles and questions. But the, but the real important part is this COBRA subsidy is not available for people that have COBRA events for other reasons. If you get divorced or, or the death of an employee, all those other reasons we know people get COBRA, um, there's no subsidy available for them. The, the yep. person has to have experienced an involuntary termination employment or any reduction hours before they'd be eligible for their free COBRA. And so before we get into the definition of involuntary, because it's a common question that, that uh, I know we're getting from many of our customers, just what, what, what do the employers have to do? What's, what's an employer's responsibility right now? Because we want to hit that right out of the gate. Right. So the two big ones are figuring out who's eligible and notifying them. So the figuring out who's eligible, will, like you said, we'll speak to isn't as easy as it sounds. Um, what's unique about this COBRA subsidy that didn't exist back in 2009 is we have to go back and find people that have had a COBRA event and are still in their COBRA eligibility period, which is generally 18 months, right? Mm -hmm. And we're calling it the second bite of the apple. We have to go back and find people that had a COBRA event the last 18 months. And even if they didn't take it, or even if they took it and dropped it, 
we have to notify them that, hey, guess what? You wanna come back? You can enroll April 1st and it's free. And so this whole notice process of finding those people that are eligible, telling them that they come back is, is from the employer's perspective, no different than any other COBRA notice. It's their legal obligation to find those people and notify them. Now I know most of your employers work with the COBRA administrator and they're gonna help, but let's not forget, COBRA is uh, the, the responsibility of the employer, even if you're hiring professional help like a, like a COBRA administrator. So it's going back and finding those people that had events and notifying them. And then of course, letting people that are on COBRA now, if they qualify, telling them that they don't have to pay, or even if they paid us for April and they qualify, giving them their money back. So who's eligible for the subsidy, letting them know they have the second chance enrollment, these notices are due at the end of this month, and then uh, people that are eligible, figuring out who's eligible and letting them know they don't have to pay for the next few months is the core of kind of the employer's responsibility. Yeah, and so if somebody is on COBRA and they've paid their April premium, Bob, um, it, 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 does the employer have to cut them a check? Is that their responsibility? Yeah. So the employer or the, you know, corporate administrator who has helped you, right. Is, is yeah. going to give that, is going to give that money back. Um, because, uh, if they, if you determine they're eligible and they, or they certify that they're eligible, they shouldn't have paid April and May. And the, the problem with this, uh, you know, let's be real transparent here. The problem, this happens so fast and this law was passed and went into effect literally weeks later. And so, um, many people have paid their April and even May and maybe now even June's COBRA premiums that are eligible for the subsidy and we're going to get those people their money back. Yeah, I mean, there's been a mad scramble from a lot of people in the industry to kind of figure it out. What so What fast. is everybody's responsibility? What are we supposed to do? How do we do it? Um, and, uh, and that leads us here today. So, you know, when you talk about identifying the people who are eligible, there's a couple of things we need to discuss. And one is, involuntary you know termination versus voluntary and and then after that you know if you could kind of uh get into the this concept of because part of the eligibility requirement is that you're not eligible for right. some other insurance right bob so yep. uh so how does an employer know so if we could tackle first involuntary versus voluntary and then get into the uh that other question that'd be awesome Yep. The good news on voluntary versus involuntary, we do have a lot of guidance on that. There was guidance back in 2009. And as of recording this podcast today, you know that the IRS issued more guidance yesterday that we've been mm -hmm. reviewing last night um, uh, on this. Um, what I tell employers about the involuntary termination is to think of it very broadly. Um, and, uh, the IRS, um, really, essentially, the definition, I'll paraphrase, it says, you know, if the employer takes the action, if it's an employer-initiated action, um, it's probably involuntary. It's really only when the employee voluntarily comes in on their own and resigns from their job that it's that is voluntary. Okay, and they give all kinds of examples, but I'll throw a couple at you that I think illustrate how broadly the the IRS and Department of Labor thinks. So first of all. Any termination for cause, any termination for not showing up at work, any termination, a layoff, a reduction in force, those are all obvious. You know, yep. those are involuntary. I'm firing somebody, I'm laying them off. Yep. But then they go into things like this. Um, one example the IRS gave in 2009 was if you uh, move someone to a new office at a different geographic location and they decide to quit because they don't want to move. Well, that sounds like a voluntary termination, doesn't it? But the IRS says, no, that's an involuntary termination because they quit because of the employer's action to move them. Mm -hmm. okay? So I, I bring that one out. It's a very unique um, uh, situation, 
But I thought I think it illustrates really well how broadly the IRS thinks what's involuntary. Okay. Right. And and so what I've been counseling employers on is is you know um, really you have to really make the case that that employee stepped up on their own, didn't want to work anymore, and voluntarily terminated. And almost anything beyond that should be considered involuntary um, and would be and would be subsidy eligible. Now we're going to talk about it later. The employer's going to get their money back if people don't pay their COBRA premiums. So it's not going to have a direct, well, you could argue, a cost on, on you know, administrative costs. So, I mean, if I'm an employer, I'm going to err on the side of, of it being involuntary if there's if there's a question. Yeah. Uh, what, what a great example. I hadn't thought of that one. It leads me to a question. What if somebody says, um, well, geez, you know, you're telling me I have to come back to the workplace. I've been working at home and, and now you're telling me it's time to come back and I'm not comfortable with that. And so I'm just going to quit. Would, would, would that be? Great. So like, great, great question, because I would have said I wasn't sure about that until 24 hours ago. And now the IRS actually gave that as an example yesterday. And they did say that an employee choosing to terminate because of their own concerns for health and safety um, is, is, is their choice. That's their voluntary termination. Okay. Um, but then they put a little qualifier on it that us compliance people hate. They said, unless the employer has taken some actions, the employer can argue um, has created a negative work environment or something. And they gave this qualifier in that I really was not happy about seeing. Um, <laughs> uh, but but in its, at its core, if the employer and most our employers have are doing the right thing, they're putting, they've, they've been for a year, we've been putting in social distancing and safety in the workplace procedures and policies, right? We've been working really hard. If we're taking those approaches and we're doing the best we can to make our work site safe and someone just refuses to come back because they're worried, that's a voluntary termination. They're, 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 they're just choosing what they're doing. Good, good, good to know. Yeah, if we're following CDC guidelines, as you said, all those things, right? Then, then you're choosing, you're, you're, you're resigning at that right. point, and exactly. that's the one instance where you could really call it, you know, voluntary or a resignation, if you will. Exactly. So, you know, if it's an involuntary termination, they're eligible if they don't now have access to some other insurance. So talk about that. How is an employer supposed to know that? Yeah, so the rule just real quickly is if you're eligible for other group insurance or Medicare, you're not eligible for subsidy. So if you're eligible for your spouse's group plan or if you're eligible where you work your new job or those kind of things, if you're eligible for other group insurance or Medicare, you're not eligible for the subsidy. And real careful, if, they're, if they have individual health insurance, they're still eligible for the subsidy. Individual insurance doesn't count. The only thing that makes you eligible, ineligible, excuse me, is if you're eligible for other group insurance or Medicare. And your question is a really important one. How the heck is the employer supposed to know if all these people are eligible for other group insurance? So the law contains a provision that the individual is supposed to notify the employer and could be subject to a $250 penalty or potentially a recovery of the subsidy they receive if they don't inform the employer that they're eligible for other insurance. Well, fine, that's in the law. I have very little faith that most people are going to understand this well enough that, that, that they're going to raise their hand and say, you know, I'm eligible for other insurance, so I don't know how much good that's going to do us, okay? So the yeah. second step is as we get people enrolling, if we're sending notices, especially these people that we're going back and looking for, you know, that had an event 12 months ago, and we're sending them a notice saying, come on back. The Department of Labor did include, um, I, call it, I call it a self-certification form. Some people are calling it an attestation form. 
When the Department of Labor issued their model notices, they included a document with those notices that says, here's what you, it takes to be eligible for the subsidy and a place for uh, individuals to check a box. Yes, I am eligible based on these criteria, self-certify that they're, that they're eligible. Employers don't have to use that, but they could use that and rely on what the individual person says. Honor system. Yeah, to determine the eligibility. So you're going to see a kind of an assorted approach to that. Some employers are going to be asking for that. Other employers are going to be um, maybe a little looser in, in how they how they look at this. But um, there really is no other way to do it than to get the person. It's it's not that different, right? Than when we apply for any insurance, aren't we putting something? We're signing at the bottom that everything I put on this application is true and subject to you know to penalties or fines if it's not. It's it's that kind it's that kind of process. And so if you haven't seen it, the Department of Labor's website has that form. You can take a look at it. If you just literally Google Department of Labor COBRA subsidy, that's where you'll land these days. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. and and so that is one way that employers are going to be trying to determine if 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 individuals are are eligible. And then in our notices and our communications are going to say you have to tell me if you're eligible, and you could be subject to this big scary penalty if you don't. I mean, we're going to use that language if you know to try to get people to. To, to let us know when they're eligible for other insurance. Sometimes you're gonna know though, right? Um, I had a great question. I um, said, employee terminated employment was involuntary termination employment, but he's married to somebody else who works here. Huh. Well, I, I know he, he's eligible because I know he's the dependent of uh, you know this, this woman that still works here. Well, then that's easy. The employer knows that. Unfortunately, that's gonna be the exception, not the rule. That's right. It's a good point. If you're if you're eligible to join your spouse's plan, it's a qualifying event and you could just join your spouse's plan. Right. Now, that's interesting. You know, it's funny you say that because they did give clarification. The guidance that came out yesterday. Eligible does mean you are able to enroll. So so yeah. you could have a situation where somebody's in the middle of the plan year or someplace and they can't actually enroll till next open enrollment or something like that. Um, they're not really eligible today because they can't get on the plan. Mm. And then, mm -hmm. so the regulations made it clear: eligible means you're eligible for a group plan, and you can enroll in it. When that and that kind of makes sense. It, yeah, doesn't, doesn't to make enroll sense what uh, on or before April first. April first, yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. Got so it. because it doesn't make sense, just because my wife works someplace, if I can't get on her plan Correct. today, and I can't get on there until open enrollment January first. I'm really not eligible. You're not eligible. Yeah, I get that. Here's a provocative thought that may, uh, this may or may not make the cut on the podcast. But if you're an employer, this is where my mind goes. If you're an employer, you had a lot of turnover. You had to do a lot of layoffs because of COVID, whatever. You've got a large population on COBRA. Right. And, and so you're, 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 you're extending this subsidy to a large number of people. I, I kind of think of, you know, that, that looking at social media and, you know, somebody's out there, they're getting their premium, they're getting the COBRA for free. And while the employer's going to get their money back, Bob, it still could be impacting that group's claims experience is going to impact their future pricing. So it, it, it could be a concern for these employers. And so, you know, could they be out there looking at people's social media, like, oh, wait a second, I, I see you just started a new job two months yeah. ago. Yep. Like, you know, you're telling me you're not eligible for, for group insurance, but right. you're, you're working at UPS. Like, yep. what, what do we do? Yep. So, you know, us compliance people always have the same answer to that one. Uh, first of all, never believe anything on social media, period. So that's my first answer. And secondly, even even hearsay through another employee and stuff like that is dangerous because you don't know a lot of potential things about actual eligibility. You know what the plan rules are, what the requirements are. 
um, whether the person actually left yesterday. You know, there's just too many variables to assume seeing something like that, you truly know that someone's eligible. So I, I would recommend, unless it's a plan that you operate and you're involved in the eligibility process, that yeah. it's that or it's getting the employee to to state and certify that they're eligible. And I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't rely on on some of those other ways that I might know. I just think that's that's too dangerous because you really don't know all the facts. You know, Wait, are you are you happen. telling me that social media is not always accurate? Uh, unless unless it's coming from your firm and it's posted <laughs> on then 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 it's then it's perfectly fine. But anything right. else, no. Right. Yeah, right, right. That's perhaps the, the most groundbreaking uh, news of the day. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right, we saved a little time to talk about the tax credit. As as uh, we were chatting before, this is late breaking. This is literally overnight. I think you were burning the midnight oil on this. So the tax credit, talk about it. How does this play out? What do employers need to do? What's going to happen with this? Yes. Yeah, so, so for most employers, this is actually a little easier than I think employers are making it out to because they, they've been through this before. In a nutshell, how it works is employers are going to be able to take a credit against their pay payroll tax liability, the Medicaid portion of their payroll tax liability. So those of you that are in payroll know that employers pay both Medicaid and Social Security are two elements of your payroll taxes, right? Mm -hmm. um, the credit only gets applied towards your Medicaid portion of your payroll tax liability. Um, and we don't need to waste your time explaining why that is. Thank but, you. Um, but what happens from a practical perspective is the employer can withhold um, from any of their payroll tax deposits an amount equal to the COBRA premiums they didn't get. So in a simplistic way, and, and employers make payroll tax deposits at different timeframes, right? Depending on how large they are. But let's just say an employer is making their payroll tax deposits monthly and then they're reporting those deposits on their quarterly 941. That's how payroll tax works in its most simplest form. Okay. Um, if I didn't get, if I'm, if I owe $10,000 in payroll tax deposits for my payroll this month, and I didn't get $1,000 in COBRA premiums from a couple people that qualify for the subsidy, I just keep that $1,000 on my deposit and I only send $9,000 in when I do my payroll tax deposit. So I don't have to send any money and then get it back. I just keep the money. Now I've got my money for the COBRA premiums this month. I didn't got it. Got it. Okay. And then at the end of the quarter, when I file my 941, there's going to be a new line on the 941 that says I sent in these many deposits. That's what I usually say every quarter. And I also kept credits of this much money for COBRA subsidies. And when you add those two together, that equals my payroll tax liability. You're so I'm going to report it quarterly, but I'm actually going to keep the money every time I do a deposit. So from a cash flow perspective for most employers, it's not gonna be a problem. Now, you could have a situation, you mentioned a client of yours that has a ton of people on COBRA and maybe a very small payroll. Maybe they've been suffering through economic hardship and their, their employee count is way down. Theoretically, you could have a situation where they don't get enough COBRA, so much COBRA premiums, they don't have enough payroll tax deposit to cover it. You could, you could do the math, right? Yeah. Well, there is a form 7200 that you can file with the IRS asking for a refund for that difference. It's basically treated like, you know, a, a refund of your payroll tax. Now, I don't know the exact how quickly that turnaround time is. It's going to be a relatively small number of employers that have to do it that way. But there mm -hmm. would be a process for employers that don't have enough 
payroll tax to cover what they lost in COBRA premiums and your payroll department can, will be able to figure that out for you. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, from a cash flow standpoint, you said it, which is right. It, the money stays in the bank then. It's a, yeah. it's a favorable cash flow. Uh, just don't send uh, the payroll tax. Right. Just don't yeah. send it in. For most employers. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, all this talk about taxes has me breaking out in hives right now. So we should probably uh, probably move on. Uh, you know, I don't know. Is there anything else, Bob, that we, didn't, that we didn't cover that we need to talk about? Yeah, I think the only other thing is there was one big question that I'm, I'll make sure if people have been struggling with this one. There are times that someone's maximum coverage period, I said 18 months right away, you know, mm -hmm. because after termination of employment or reduction hours, typically COBRA is 18 months. We know that. Yep. There are times that someone's maximum COBRA could be longer. Let me give you a simple example. For those of you familiar with COBRA, there's what they're called those COBRA second events. Maybe I get fired from my job and I have family coverage. You give my family 18 months of COBRA, don't you? Well, if six months later, if I get divorced under COBRA rules, my divorced spouse now qualifies for a second event and gets 36 months of coverage. Mm -hmm. So the question has been until yesterday, what do we do about that person that's in the 35th month, my, my former spouse? Is she eligible for the COBRA subsidy because her event was my termination of employment 35 months ago, follow me? Mm -hmm. yep. And the answer is yes, she's eligible for the subsidy in that scenario, but only if she's still on COBRA. So what we were worried about was we were worried that we were going to have to go back and find those people 20, 30 months ago and offer them that second chance enrollment. And we don't. That's good news. So people that have extended coverage available beyond 18 months, divorce, death of the employee, um, total disability, some state continuation. If anybody has coverage available beyond the regular 18 months, they only get the subsidy if they're currently on continuation coverage, they can just stop paying. We don't have to go find them and offer them a second chance enrollment. That was really important news that came out yesterday. That's huge. I, that that is good news, and I thank you for bringing it up. Um, I think this this was one of the most sort of you know jam packed with really useful, timely information podcast uh, that that uh, that you could have. Frankly, and uh, you're you're clearly an expert on this, Bob. And we thank you for sharing your expertise with us. I know all of our uh, clients and everybody listening is going to appreciate it. So we'll wrap, but but I didn't tell you this because I want to keep you on your toes. We always end the podcast by asking our guests a few uh -oh. rapid fire questions. All right. All right. So you game for that? Yeah, maybe. Right. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's not too difficult. Ready? Would you rather do laundry or dishes? Oh, dishes. I'm the dish king. Ah. Toilet paper. Do you sit on an iron throne at home uh, being the dish king? Is that... Is that yeah, right, title right. you to that? <laughs> I'm re-watching Game of Thrones, so that's top right, of mind. Right. Toilet paper, over or under? Well, that's an obvious question. Everyone knows it should be over. That's that there's that's not a question. That's just that's obvious. Seems to be the consensus, Kayla. <laughs> uh, okay, favorite TV show that you're currently binging? Oh, alone. They dump a person in the wilderness and make them survive for weeks and weeks at a time. And I love going in the wilderness. So that's my that's my Guilty pleasure. <laughs> All right. Is it a reality show? It is. Yeah. 
All right. If you won the lottery and let's call it a big lottery, let's call it Powerball. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's big money. If you won the Powerball tomorrow, what's the first thing you do? Wow. Wow. That's, that's a tough one. Uh, probably um, buy a sailboat. <laughs> Great. Plenty, it's always been a dream. Plenty of lakes out there in Minnesota. There are. There are. We got lots of them. Finally, Bob, our theme at One Digital this year is rise. You know, and after a tough 2020 and a tough start to 2021, we're kind of finally coming out of it. It's been stressful. So, you know, we're going to rise in 2021 at One Digital. How are you going to rise, Bob? Yep. That's, that, boy, that, that's a, I appreciate that question. I, I think we've learned a lot about how we can work together differently. I think our, our, our company, if you had asked us all last April and March, and we were all terrified and worried about what the future looked like. I think we learned a lot out of this that actually is going to make us more efficient and work together easily in different ways. And, and we're looking forward to that as a company, that being able to work together remotely when we want to and not when we don't want to and, and, and some flexibility. I think, I think that's a, 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 a positive that we learned a lot out of a very difficult, uh, horrible year. Great. Yeah, it's good to find those silver linings. Uh, listen, as always, thank you for, for, those, for those listening. Thank you for tuning in. This has been a, yet another episode of Friends with Employee Back.